0: You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sean Vance. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Lotte, Sriram, Gosha, and Boyan to discuss how to use data to scale your business. So, before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Lotta, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah. So, my name is Lori Costa, and I'm director and head of our data science department here in Analog, part of Omnicom Media Group, uh, leading 25 people in, in data science, helping our clients really using their data and understanding where their sales is coming from and, and forecasting that. Great.
2: Yeah. Sriram? Hi, all. I'm Sriram and I work with uh, PLEO, an expense management solution for modern companies. I work as the data and analytics competence lead for the SMB acquisition and growth domain. Uh, Previously, I led the analytics function for an education technology scale-up based in Copenhagen, where I joined as the uh, founding data analyst and uh, spent six years growing with the company. At my current role, I interface between the global data and analytics teams and the domains that I specifically support. Thank you. Perfect.
3: Hello everyone, I'm Gosia Maciangowska, Uh, currently I work as a data engineering team lead uh, at NorCloud, which is a cloud consulting company. Before that, uh, I was working in Dublin, Ireland for Microsoft as a data and AI specialist. And after hours, you can find me probably somewhere in Copenhagen parks, running with my dog or doing some voiceovers next to my desk great boyan
4: hey everyone my name is boyan and uh, currently i'm working at unity as a data science manager i've been around for almost four years now Uh, we are uh, a team of nine data scientists and and engineers and uh, we are working a part of the company called create solutions our main focus is is building data capabilities and data products that uh, enable deeper insights into the creative journey of our users and this includes uh, identifying their creative needs, uh, their workflows, and how we can actually make them uh, more successful uh, with using real-time tree software.
0: Okay, great. So, now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to our topic in focus for today. So, you all have a question or a statement on how to use data to scale your business. And as usual, I'll work around the room with each of these questions, allow each of you to elaborate. Each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Okay, so Boyan, we'll come to you first. You'd like to talk about personalization at scale. So attracting and retaining more users and customers. Could you elaborate a little bit for us?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking about like, what are the main use cases for data to to enable scaling of a business? And, And these are mostly around improving productivity, identifying bottlenecks, optimizing costs, um, but I thought that personalization is, is, is an aspect that is, is quite interesting and quite relevant, especially in the field that I'm working in. Um, because personalization, it, it means, probably it means many things for, for, uh, for different functions within the company. But I'd like to think about it from a data perspective as a, as a journey on how to um, address your audiences and your future customers and, and users. It's, it always starts with kind of like one size fits all. Um, either messaging or, or product, and then you'll probably slowly go through identifying a key group of heterogeneous customers or users that have like similar needs. And then ultimately, you'd like to go to the route of being able to identify individual preferences and, and, and needs and be able to, to address those and, 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 and be able to to, 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 to provide relevancy and, and through the messaging and through the product you, you build. Um, so that's why I think it's, it's, it's a key especially in the world we live in and um, 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 being mostly digital I think personalization is personalization is, is very important in, in making sure that, that you have a product or you have a, a, a marketing strategy that, that can scale uh, your business and and I mention marketing because I think marketing is one of the areas that personalization, my, personalization might be mostly utilized today um, we we know uh, from fact um, that um, we experience as, as users a lot of like targeted ad- advertisements uh email campaigns tailored to to mostly our needs or what we are what we are uh, mostly interested in, our interests and in, in passions and um, it's also used as product differentiation tool as, uh, as how you can package and, and and price your product differently as well as as we are living in, in a world where subscription is, is a predominant business model. We know um, that there is different um, uh, ways you can you can package your product and you can think about how you can price differently for different groups of, of users. Um, one example I could give is, I really enjoy reading uh, uh, the newsletters from Medium and they're very personalized and tailored to my interests. Like I would imagine the, um, uh, the product uh, scans a lot of the my a lot of the history and like my reading history and then tries to serve content that is very relevant for me. so I really enjoy and and this this keeps me engaged with the, with the service. Um, another area big area that I think is also like very important when it comes to personalization is product um and, and, and in terms of while marketing is mostly um, uh, focused in, in, in engaging and, and reaching new audiences, I guess product is is mostly focused on on increasing engagement and retention and with one size fits all you're very much limited on on how you can actually cater for different workflows and different interests um so being able to to come up with different um with different ways you can you can you can um, build build different work workflows within your product i think it can it can definitely uh scale scale your your product and in your business subsequently Uh, one example is i guess everyone knows netflix and, uh, yep. and we know that they use recommendation engine to keep you engaging in providing the, the relevant content and shows that you might be interested in. So this means that you keep engaging with the product and then you keep paying your subscription. Yeah,
0: great. So Lotta, would you like to add anything there? Yeah, I think like, especially
1: right down our alley, and, and now you also mentioned marketeers and, and, and my industry is marketing, right? We are working with some of the biggest brand in the world. And, and actually my, my special focus is uh, personalization. So I I completely agree that this is a a hot topic. Um it's it's definitely within marketing and within Europe, like GDPR and everything, like there we were really heading down that alley and then there came a lot of other stuff, but I think it's like the buzzword that is around all marketing and it, it's gonna be the future. I completely agree, especially the whole loyalty program, Netflix, everything, engagement, all of this, the possibilities we have within data. So it's like a it's a massive demand uh, we work with some of the, the top brands I- across the globe and being personalized is going to give you that competitive advantage now and in the future so we are also developing new products like more customer centric modeling that can then being proactive in your communication um we're going to get a little to it also in some of my next questions but i think The big trend right now is figuring out you have one-to-all communication, you have one-to-masses, and you have one-to-one. Do we really, is it cost-benefit for companies to end up in one-to-one, or do we need to find some way in between, right? So there's the the cost, and what are you actually getting back uh, from the personalization? I think that is at least where a lot of the discussions need to go right now in, in the current market trend. Okay.
3: Gosha, did you have something to add? Yes, I I absolutely agree with uh, with both of you, and uh, that the personalization is a is a way to go. But should we go this far? Should we go to to uh, to one on one, or should we actually have some segments or groups of, of customers that are alike uh, that we can target in a similar uh, manner? And that actually yeah reminded me that Netflix actually produced if I'm not wrong, actually 10 teasers for one of the new seasons of House of Cards, I think it was. And uh, depending on who was more interested in comedy content, they got a different teaser for for the new season uh, rather than these who were more interested in drama uh, content. Uh, But that also reminds me of the time when uh, I was a product manager of a um, loyalty, uh, analytical model for loyalty system. Uh, so I was basically sitting down and, and trying to figure out how to measure something called loyalty, <laughs> what KPIs, what metrics you should, you should come up with. And I remember that it was years ago uh, uh, that we came up with this um, very simple uh, machine learning model for RFM analysis. So recency, frequency, monetary, uh, telling you and an, analyzing when was the last time your customer did the shopping, how often in a given period of time they have been doing and how much they've spent. So these three metrics and based on these metrics, we were able to group these people, so to say, in in um, segments uh, and then come up with some proactive tips for marketing people. Uh, that okay. This group, this group of, of customers, can be your early adopters of your new products, of your new programs. This group uh, is highly motivated by promotions and some financial, so to say, extras. So this is how you should approach them. Uh, and uh, definitely, this is um, something that uh, that companies should uh, measure right now and uh, go with. But with Lotus uh, comment. Uh, Should we actually focus on -on one-on-one communication or just uh, focus on on maybe bigger groups and that would be more effective? Yeah,
1: and I think definitely like, yeah, the RFM is like what you did in the past, right? And then like we're all working with, with data and data scientists and all the possibilities. So a lot have happened, like the possibilities are just coming in every day. And and for example, like just what we have done for some of our top brands is then building machine learning models, but then not just the three metrics, but then 40 different behavioral attributes and then actually building those predictions down to individual level and then afterwards using. You know the other parts of machine learning, unsupervised learning, in terms of then aggregating or like segmentation on top, so you get something uh, that is more applicable, and then making the whole activation easier, which is then a whole nother discussion. How do you then actually activate it? Because that is also a journey, right? But but it is definitely something, and I think your your point, I love your point in terms of how to measure the, the impact on the bottom line like on, on the balance sheet from loyalty right we we we're working a lot with econometrical models over time like saying okay what is the impact from TV ads from marketing what is the impact from price increases and what is the impact from unemployment rate and inflation so that is like the macro environmental models that we are building on and we are also testing it okay how are we then including just the pure fact of you having a loyalty program available in the market, or you have 200,000 or half a million users on your, your loyalty program, well, what is then that incremental value added on top of your business? And we are reporting these numbers to yeah, to some very, very big brands these days. But again, then they're just like, well, how much can you trust that? Because how can you actually understand it? And I think it just undermines the whole complexity that personalization, something is that you measure it on the balance sheet. But you also need to measure it on individual level and different like different measurements, depending on where on the, what do you say, value chain you are. And that is difficult for some marketeers to understand that they cannot just get one model or one solution that's going to answer everything. That is like at least some of the the, the challenges that we are meeting in our everyday communication. Beforehand,
4: yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally agree when, when it comes to messaging, to marketing. Um, and coming up with marketing strategies, uh, for most part, segmentation and and, and clustering users is going to be is going to be the most optimal way to go about it. Um, I was thinking mostly in in cases like, for example, learning is is quite an individual thing, and and that might justify the the extra complexity and effort of, of getting to an individual level predictions. Uh, for example, like I'm I'm talking from a, from a Unity standpoint, it's it's a pretty complicated piece of software. Uh, and real-time 3D development requires like a, a tons of, of skills technical skills. It's very hard for for our beginners uh, and, and and new creators to kind of pick it up and, and be successful with it. Uh, so we have a, a Unity is actually uh, developing a, a, its own learning platform which is kind of like very similar to to, to Coursera likes. Um, and then when we, when it comes to learning I've at least, from my perspective, it's, it's very individual, so, so being able to, to provide the, the most relevant content for, for, for each individual creator and, 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 and depending on where where they are on their creative journey and what skill level they are, it might be really beneficial um, uh, to make sure that not only you, you attract those, those, those new users, but, but you retain them and, and you make them successful using your uh, products
2: yeah definitely coming from an educational technology uh, company myself uh, i can vouch that uh, you know personalization is a lot more uh, appropriate for such environments because uh, personalization also means that whom you shouldn't target or you know who should be left at their own pace so uh, it also reflects a bit of data maturity i would say because uh, you have understood a lot about your users and their preferences so I can tie it back to my previous experience where we saved quite a lot of money not uh, sending out these marketing emails because money and uh, resources were at a premium for us while at the same time catering to the users preferences so i completely agree with you know the context there so i think it really is important that is what i wanted to share
1: yeah yeah i agree that it's both like yeah focusing on the high profitable versus low or high engaged versus low engaged part of your customer base. So just like optimizing and optimizing the communication you send out instead of sending push messages every day and just shooting blind. Well, these models can actually tell you, well, it's optimal if you communicate at this time since last interaction, right? Um, Yeah, and then just regarding the whole insourcing and learning and different data maturities across client, I think it's also... I feel like there's a big trend for clients. They want to insource and they want to do a lot of this. uh, uh, Internally, I've seen a lot of use cases for some clients spending five years trying to implement this and never really getting anywhere because either they're waiting for getting that 100% finished data set, which is never going to happen. If you ask me, uh, instead of just maybe taking that step and then saying, we don't, we know, we don't know everything, but what can we do with what we know today? And then also, which is why we, in in our company, I both have an advanced analytics team, more SaaS oriented service, and then the consultancy, right? Which is more, you know, sometimes you also need to help the clients understand, okay, it's, I can do a very cool machine learning, but if you're not able to actually understand what I put into it and what got out of it, well, that's just where I see a lot of clients ending up in not going anywhere. Then they have a data scientist, but that person cannot communicate all the possibilities to the commercial people internally or to the marketeers or to the product development or to anything because they're just not speaking the same language. So, so many opportunities, right? But yeah, also a lot of
0: challenges. So, Does anyone have anything else that they'd like to add before we move on to our next question? No, great. Okay. So next up is Lotta. You've asked, what is one of the biggest challenges your clients or companies experience when it comes to working with data and activating it in their business can you explain a little for us yeah
1: so i think it really links to to the already uh, discussions that that we're having and and especially this my, my initial idea was this whole, OK, I see so many clients, they want to go in. There was this big trend just going personalized. We have all of this data. We, we need to use it. We can say all about this in individual level. And there's been this big, big trend over the last 20 years, right? Just digitalization, just driving detail, detail, detail. And I'm just seeing more and more clients, whether it be normal marketing campaigns or whatever, they're just drowning in data, right? and meaning they're drowning in also reporting and making sure you're following up and all of this. And like I see clients having 500 different campaign messages within a year and just taking back from the Mad Men times when it was like one big campaign and we would spend a year planning that. And now because we can do 500 different content a day, then we do it. And I feel like we've kind of hit the, the bottom of detail level. And now hopefully some clients are on their way up again and it's linking to both of course normal marketing but also the personalization is it even cost benefit being per, come one to one communication or is it more one to mass so it's just i'm of course also very curious on what are some of the main challenges that you see with all of this data that's only growing like it's never going to stop i don't see it stopping at some
3: point okay gosha what are your thoughts well definitely it's not stopping <laughs> and it's it's going to get worse and worse uh with a way faster pace than than ever before uh, as we as we all know and uh definitely i think that uh, very often we need to be there for our customers to advise them not to jump uh, you know heads head first into into this data lake uh (laughs) that they are that they are having and they want to have um everything in there and obviously, yes, and it's it's a very like huge sickness of, of companies the, the, the to have the siloed data. Uh, it's uh, absolutely not acceptable nowadays, so said to say. Uh, but other challenges, I would say that uh, that I'm seeing is usually usually it's the change management. Actually, it's the change that needs to that needs to happen in people's heads and in the processes in the organization. Uh, and specifically related to data is. I think evangelization uh, of the business people as well and uh, those whom we want to be the data owners, uh, those, those whom we want to uh, provide us a um, high quality of data uh, so that later on we can be provided with a high quality of analytics, not sitting on a meeting with Ten different Excel spreadsheets uh, with different macros and filters, and arguing whose numbers are right instead of coming up with solution or a conclusion to to to, to a specific situation. Uh, so that I, I also think is one of the one of the challenges that I see our customers are um, are facing uh, nowadays. It's not just the amount of the data. It's it's actually being able, like you said, Lotte, to to pick the right one to give you value and as fast as possible, obviously, but also to manage these uh, people and processes parts that uh, that need to be working together uh, in order for the change and any uh, any new solutions uh, to work basically in the organization. Okay, Boyan, did you have something to add?
4: Yeah, I really love the the the, the, the angle here because I I completely agree. Um, it's it's easy to get uh, to get lost in the in the jungle of data and there's so much uh, that can be utilized, there's so much that can be tracked and, and pe- folks can spend many months of kind of like engineering and modeling excellence just pursuing something for the sake of it. While I think the, the, the critical part is to have this product mindset, to focus on the outcomes, on the value, on the potential that data can can create. And then working backwards to figure out what are the missing pieces from technology perspective to make sure you build the right products and the right capabilities within or outside a company uh, to, to enable those outcomes. Um, so I really I, I think that's that that's that's quite crucial. And it's it's very easy to 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 build a, a data product, for example, to build a dashboard with some metrics in, but it's very hard as as, as Gosha mentioned to change the mindset, to make sure that. That these, that these metrics or, or these data points fit into, into a specific decision-making process. They are utilized the right way. So actually they impact other functions in the business, whether it's sales or marketing or, or, or product itself.
0: Yeah, great. Srearam? Yeah,
2: it's one of the topics that I wanted to touch upon as well. So thanks for bringing this up. So I feel that uh, companies often you know, uh, bring up this culture of uh, doing too many things with the data rather than... Uh, you know, having a culture of focus or deprioritizing, uh, you know, tasks that may not be, uh, you know, impactful in the short run. So yeah, it's it's one of those cases where uh, not just do we have to prioritize, but also have to put in some thought on the effort that we would like to put in on each of these. So do we want to go all out on this data project, whether uh, you know, in terms of rigor, or whether it's you know, sometimes even a directional estimate is kind of useful uh, for stakeholders to keep moving. So not only sh- should it be the order of tasks that we take up, but also the amount of effort that we invest in each of them. That's critical for, you know, companies to use data as a lever for growth.
1: I really like both like the, and the point the and also with the whole like flipping it around and working your way back and then also Gusha, the whole sitting in a room with like 10 different spreadsheets and like I think I have that with clients every second week because we are often just showing their data in a different way and they're like, oh, I had no idea this is how much we revenue had last year or whatever. And it's uh, it, it's impressive. And I think I just have like this uh, back at, at university, but I had this uh, guy in my class, uh, no name set or anything, but it's just, <laughs> I remember I was working already there in one of the, the biggest broadcasting in, in, in Denmark and, and was working as a data analytics junior. And all of these troubles, like, you know, it's seven, eight years back, right? So when data lakes were being built and validating and sitting with systems and nothing was coherent or anything. And this guy who had not had a real-life job, and then he just said in in some organizational something course, um, well, the future is going to be so easy and CEOs is going to be, like, it's not going to be necessary to have CEOs or people anymore because data is just going to, make all the decisions. So why do we even need to learn how to organize a a company? Because data is just gonna set the direction. And I just remember, I just raised my hand and I said, well, then you clearly haven't worked in a company because I think data just creating more diversity and more silos and more, you know, and it's just this mindset and I can remember it so vividly because I was like, no data is just creating Not more problems, right? We love data. We live on data. So I'm not negative here. (laughs) I'm just saying that, you know, this guy, he just had a completely different mindset. No, you're just going to have 10 CEO or CMOs or whatever they are, SVPs, sitting and discussing which of their data points are correct or saying, I don't believe in statistics. I also have clients saying that, right, with their CFO. He's like, I don't believe or you know, CMO, whatever they are, I don't believe in that. I have 10 years of experience, so that goes over 90% uh, R-squared in an econometric model. So it's, yeah, I don't know, there's just so many layers to this where people. some people are like, well, data is going to solve everything. And I actually think, and especially with USRIAM, it has so many complications and the... Yeah, Yeah.
2: so even one of the things that we fail to acknowledge is that more data does not necessarily mean more insights. Uh, I think there's a lack of understanding at times that, you know, data owes us nothing uh, sometimes. So unless you track the right data or, you know, sometimes even tracking the right data may not lead you to anything substantial. So having that, uh, uh, you know, acknowledgement is very important to uh, investing your time and resources on things that are so precious to you and things that will contribute to your impact in the long run so more data does not mean more insights that's something i want to reiterate
1: (laughs) yeah and just leading back to the whole scaling your business and using data something like your business is not going to scale just from the fact you have data like you need some people in order to communicate i have My previous job, there were so many uh, interest uh, stakeholders and they would just come to us and say, I need a graph on this. I'm like, well, what is it you want to, why? What is it you (laughs) want to say? What is it like? You cannot just say, I want this number and then I'll fix that number for you, right? It's, well, tell me what you want to examine. Tell me what you want to pursue. And then I'll make the decisions because I know the data. For what data do we need to look into in order to maybe support that storyline? And then I, th- I think it's very keen to the whole yeah, topic of this 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 talk is just data in itself is not good. You also need the people and the change management and, and you need the culture and you need the people in order to then explain and take that discussion. Because all companies is always going to be a over-representation of people not having the skills and knowledge to, to actually... Explored all the possibilities within
0: data. OK, great. Does anyone have anything else that they'd like to add to that topic?
3: I just I just want to add that it's pretty funny to see all, all of us nodding when the others are talking <laughs> and we are recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, great. So, OK, Gosha, you've
0: asked to talk about creating new business models and new streams of revenue thanks to data. So do you want to delve into this a little more for us? Yes.
3: Yes, please. Um, so. First off, like like it was already uh, well said, that more data is not uh, <laughs> is it, it does does not necessarily mean uh, more right insights uh, that that you actually need and or more value per se directly. Uh, But um, when we are talking about scaling business, very often um, people think uh, or CEOs uh, and and higher leadership thinks that you need to invest heavily to scale heavily Uh, while data is there to prevent that, so to say. It can help you with actually finding the bottlenecks in your processes, uh, finding the um, more insights about your customers uh, so that you can come up with ideas that actually, without hiring uh, another team or uh, without buying another super cool uh, software uh, that will, in theory, optimize your processes, uh, you can actually make some actions that uh, can be less of energy consuming or cost consuming that can bring you way higher um, impact and value to your business in short and in long term. Uh, and uh, I've seen uh, a couple of customers in uh, in my career um, where they actually through the data and thanks to data, they they were able to either open new streams of revenue. In their company or create a new business model that they were like absolutely never considering it uh, and i've got two uh, very different examples uh, one one is uh, the industrial uh, manufacturing company when they uh, are producing furnaces so like huge industrial furnaces uh, that they are doing some mixtures for their customers of different metals in uh, and uh, they, with the, when when predictive maintenance was introduced uh, and implemented in this uh, in this company, they started to see uh, some additional uh, insights that they thought that their customers that are using p- these furnaces uh, would be interested in. So they started delivering some analytics for them. And eventually, it turned out to, to, to switch to a, a service model. So it was like a s- furnace as a service uh, with additional option to get extra uh, extra advanced analytics insights if you are interested to get in onto that subscription, so to say. Uh, another one was a bike uh, company, so also a, a manufacturer of, of bikes. And uh, when the pandemic hit, it wasn't the best time, and then it turned into the best time. <laughs> uh, so they they discovered also some uh, that people got more interested into going out, uh, actually spending time away from their screens. Uh, so that was uh, that was also good, but the city bikes became popular. So not everyone wants to own one, and that's another uh, idea and uh, another stream of revenue that they didn't think of before. And it's with the trends on the market and the data uh, on the customers that they were also gathering, uh, where, where they were able to pursue this uh, this model and open an, a new stream of revenue. So I'm wondering if if any of you have other examples on experiences or anti-examples of of how that could work okay boy go ahead
4: it's 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 actually the first thing that came to my mind when i was uh when i was i read the topic is predictive maintenance i was uh, my previ- previous job i was working at maersk so that was a huge uh a huge thing so the with the proliferation of of sensors and internet of things a lot of these like traditional uh industrial assets they become digital and we and with that as you mentioned, it it's, it opens the opportunity to use the data that has been collected to to create new new services and new products um, and, and and new business models. Um, another very similar, um, I would say, uh, a, a, a service is uh, advanced health health analytics. Um, I don't know if you if you know the company Whoop, but what they do they make uh, these uh, smart uh, wristbands. So it's not a watch; it's just a wristband. It has a tons of sensors in it. Um, but what they do, they give the the hardware for free, so they don't charge you for the for the wrist. You get it for free, but then you you pay a subscription service, um, a, a monthly fee. And then what you get in the end is actually not only the data that's collected by the sensors, but all the analytics that comes with it. Uh, it has a mobile application, but it also has have, have a very detailed web application where you can actually go and and check a lot of a lot of details around your. Um, um your performance uh, your health performance it's mostly tailored towards athletes and actually coaches of, of athletes teams because they can actually have an overview of the whole team at, at, at a glance also I, I was very fascinated by this i was like i, I started to, to 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 think of other analytics applications that might be monetized in the future
0: yeah um-
2: what I want to recall is a personal experience uh, at one of my previous companies. So we, uh, earlier we were targeting kids between let's say six to eleven years old, but when we tapped into the marketplace and the app stores, we found that there was a lot more traction and uh, you know, welcome for a younger age group. So as soon as we pivoted to a lower age group, our revenue stream started you know going through a massive facelift, and you know we are making so much more money targeting. To the right age group the data did expose us to a scale uh, back then but the thing that i want to touch upon is uh the fact that data does show you these things but it also takes a bit of open-endedness from you know leadership and analytics leaders also to embrace this change and not be fixated on you know the model that you started with so gosha even going with the examples that you cited uh that seems to have been the case where you know leaders were very open to taking decisions based on what the data was showing them rather than uh, bringing in uh, biases into the whole picture. Okay,
0: yeah. good. Anything anyone else would like to add? Uh, yeah, just one of ours is like
1: also just for, for, for client cases because like we, we build these models over time and also taking in touch points let's say you have a, a what do you say like a, a a newsletter or something that you're sending like a what do you say discount offer sheet whatever that's called you send it out in post mails right and you're not really able to get any data back whether or people are emptying their post boxes or whatever and that is where our like models come into play because yeah, given uh, in econometrics and machine learning, we're we're estimating the impact from these and also saying, okay, what is this then actually adding value to your company? Yes or no? So so we have a lot of clients that is saying, okay, well now the model over time say, okay, we are getting less and less, and our investment is this much. Well then our ROI doesn't make sense for our business model anymore. And then in that sense, actually using data and then statistics on top in order to make pretty major business decisions in order on how should they reallocate even media budget or change focus within business streams. Um, And I just love your point where I'm in the whole, you know, I can have two two clients who are maybe in this exact same situation, but one client follows the model and says, okay, let's shut down this uh, newsletter and let's put that money into something where we get more value but you can also just have those clients where they're like yeah that's good but we've been doing this newsletter for the last 20 years and i know it works or like you can always sit with some person at the client and then you're like well yeah but stuff has changed over 20 years and given statistics my we, we say something else right so yeah again just adding more layers of of complexity to the to the whole thing but I agree.
0: I'm just watching you all nodding along there like you all agree. <laughs> no, great. So is there anything else anyone else would like to add to that question then? Okay, great. So finally, over to you, Sriram, you want to discuss the anti-goals. Now, what, what is it that you mean by these?
2: Okay, so these are uh, the outcomes that you want to avoid if you want to use data you know, to scale your business. So while we always talk about what we should do, I felt that we should also talk about uh, what should we avoid in this journey. So uh, I'm going to touch upon three such outcomes. So it's not limited to these three, but I'm going to just talk particularly about these three to get started. So I think the first outcome that companies should try to avoid is to have a data strategy that's not aligned with the business goals. Uh, I believe that the data strategy is the foundation to all the data practices and In some ways, it's not just about the data. So it's a long-term plan around your people, processes, and technology that's necessary to uh, solve not just your data challenges, but also to grow your business and be aligned with the goals. Uh, If you don't do this or if there is no alignment between these two, you risk prioritizing the wrong projects. You miss out on a lot of insights and you waste a lot of time and resources. And over time, what it does is uh, it creates a loss of interest or faith in data initiatives uh, within the organization a very simplistic example would be to uh, you know hiring the wrong people at the wrong I mean, at the wrong stage So so I've seen some companies hire a data scientist way too early or hiring a data engineer too late. So this is a loose, loose situation for both the company and the individual. The second outcome that I want to talk about is uh, when companies look at their analytics teams just as a support function, right? So companies talk about being data-driven and data-informed, but uh, quite often they don't have a data person at the decision-making table. So when analysts have, uh, you know, a stake in the ownership i mean take ownership of the decisions or even the value that they bring in so that's when they're more invested and more value can come out of those conversations uh, that have an analyst at the table i think analysts should have a stake in in both the success and the failure of the teams that they support so in some way they need to make be made accountable uh, yeah but the one thing i want to make clear is that uh, it's very normal and necessary for data teams to place service roles but it's not the only role that they should be expected to play so uh, trust me. I mean, nobody wants to become an analyst just to, you know, pull data continuously and uh, churn out dashboards day in and day out. So on the other side, though, uh, I think data people should also realize that uh, they may not get a red carpet welcome uh, to the decision making table. So they should also be equally <laughs> proactive and, uh, you know, build trust with the stakeholders. So even probably when they're not asking for help. So yeah, they could do something as simple as, you know, self inviting them to. Conversations happening around, or monitoring Slack conversations, and you know, keeping an eye on what's being talked about, so that uh, when their contribution comes in, it's not only proactive but also meaningful. The final outcome uh, that I feel companies should avoid is is something that Lotta and Gosha and Boy and all of us have been talking about is to not invest time and resources on the you know wrong projects or on projects that create very little value for the business. So. Even with uh, the companies having the right data strategy, I I think that some companies fall short when it comes to prioritization and effort estimation. So this can cost uh, big time for the organizations. Uh, It's very important to, you know, uh, deprioritize some of the projects that are less impactful. And that actually defines the, distinguishes rather the successful one from the unsuccessful one. And that means you'll have to tell your colleagues sometimes what they don't want to hear, uh, you know, no or you know not now that often becomes the conversation then but i feel that in general uh analysts i mean we should lead with analytics uh by that i mean that being an independent voice and bring an analytical perspective rather than an emotional one uh yeah so yeah just to summarize I think the three outcomes that we want to avoid is uh, having a data strategy that's not aligned to business goals. So make sure you always have your data uh, strategy aligned with your business goals. Don't perceive your data people as just support functions, but treat them as your business partners and make them accountable for it. And finally, build a culture of focus and uh, focus for your data projects. Because uh, data can always promise you endless number of possibilities.
3: That's a, These are very, very good points, uh, actually, Sriram, and uh, I completely agree with all of them. And I would add to it as an what would be the anti-goal is not having a goal that is clear, uh, and it's clear both to tech and business uh, people. So I'm sorry, with all due respect, but we want to be a data-driven company. It's not a data strategy or a a goal of the project Uh, it needs to be more concrete Uh, you need to know what you actually want to get out of this project because you can uh, as we were speaking we we had numbers of of different projects and any other person will come up with another thousand of them uh, how what kind of data projects uh, we could have uh, or can be or can be delivered but if the customer the company organization doesn't know exactly they shouldn't start. They shouldn't kick off the project, uh, and just let's see how it goes. And <laughs> we will manage somehow to become data driven at some point, hopefully. Fingers crossed. No, it's it's not the way. It's not the way to go. So um, it is uh, very popular. It is trendy uh, nowadays to be data driven, or at least use this uh, with regards to your organization. But please know what what stands behind it for you and your organization, what exactly it would mean after you have this product delivered. Yeah, and also completely
1: agreeing. And then the whole like data-driven is not a goal in itself. And then just linking to your point also if whether or not you're hiring, I've also seen so many, they hire data science too early, which is then becoming both a a data engineer, a data scientist, uh, a BI specialist, an analyst. Uh, It's becoming like, I don't know, a whole department in one person. Um, also maybe for some companies trying to link those two points together saying, know your limitations, right? You will not like everyone wants to build their own data warehouse from scratch because they maybe hire Some data scientists and say, oh, I can do that. And they, yeah, we could all do. I think I'm sure we could all do a lot of stuff if we had unlimited amount of time and, and Google and, and stack overflow access, right? You know? It's, it's not that more complicated, but it just becomes too big. And why there's so many companies, so many solutions who are also just pushing their innovation much faster because then you have centralized 40 clients pushing that, you know, um, development to the limits uh, and then leveraging on that instead of the whole, we need to do everything ourselves because one proud data scientist sitting there and not, sorry to say, I'm I'm also very proud of my own work, but... Instead of just sometimes saying, okay, maybe we shouldn't build the this part ourselves. Maybe we should outsource this, or maybe we should get some experts. And there's so much knowledge to be taken, right? So just connecting those two, not having a goal, and then at the same time want to do everything themselves because they don't really know. It's just, yeah, it's going bad for so many clients right now. And it's taking years without getting anywhere.
4: Like. I just want to say thanks, Shiron, for bringing this up because these are super, super important. Um, and I have, I, I have the feeling that if we started with this topic, we would, could have spent the whole podcast talking about this. <laughs> but I'm also thankful that we finished with those because these are super important, especially for everybody who is starting their on on their data journey, either a data professional, a pro person, or a or a new business. So these are, I hope. If, if, if someone takes some, something out of that post podcast, is these, these three key points that you mentioned.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, the point that I wanted to, again, reiterate is that, you know, we always talk about stakeholders not coming up with clear questions or not clear goals. But I just want to just focus on the analysts and the data people ourselves. So we also need to take up that onus to, you know, be the sounding uh, board to such things and, you know, not hold back. So our, our duty is to make sure that we bring in more perspectives to our stakeholders. And while it's also at the mercy of stakeholders at times, we should, we should make sure that our voice is equally, you know, Shared
0: across the board. Okay, great. Does anyone have any final thoughts for today's topic then? No? Great. Okay, so we will leave it there then. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank you all, Gosha, Sriram, Voyan, and Lotta, for providing some really interesting insights into today's topic. Hopefully, you and our listeners can take something away from today's episode. And if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I hope you've enjoyed listening. And this has been the evolution